As a leader, have you ever initiated change and it was followed by fear and resistance? Today, my guest will be sharing his struggles and successes of initiating change at the highest level of his district, and I'm extremely excited to share his story with you. My guest is Wade Stanford, the superintendent of Westwood ISD, and a leader that is impacting many well beyond his own district. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Wade, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Man, Joshua, I just I appreciate it so much. I'm excited to to share with you tonight and just visit and you know having this opportunity and and I just appreciate you allowing me to come on tonight. Well, I appreciate you. Actually, I'm going to share about my PLC journey. You actually were an inspiration to me. We were in chats together on the Christian Educators Chat. And four years ago, George Kuros told me I needed to be on social media. And that was (laughs) one of the first chats I was on. And you were a part of that group. And it was just such a welcoming atmosphere. And you all were just wonderful. So thank you to you because that really jettisoned me into building my PLC. Yeah. And I think that's the neat part about social media. You know, that, that Christian educators chat was a, was a neat, a neat group that supported each other and just really uplifted and, and it extended outside of the, the night that we chatted into prayer and just uh, encouragement from one another and, and working through things. And so I think that's neat. And I think it's, I think it's so important for educators today to, to connect and to connect outside of, just their local school and their district and even even in the state and, and just start spreading out across the nation and, and across the, you know, just an international look and just looking at that and, and trying to connect with different people and, and get perspectives. So uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, and being part of that PLN and uh, encouraging. And Wade, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and I would love to hear about your leadership journey. So my leadership journey may take the whole show because it's been a it's been it's been a journey. But I think when I think about my leadership journey, I think it actually started even before I got into education. And I think that that's the part that I think is so important for educators to understand is that the influence that we have and the opportunity that we have to show people that they can be leaders. So I had men and women that influenced me when I was in school just different people. Mr. Edwards was my senior English teacher. Uh, Mrs. Walker was my sophomore English teacher. And through every one of those, they exposed me to some leadership opportunities. And I knew during that time that uh, leadership was something that I wanted to be a part of and that uh, that I felt like had, God had, had blessed me with some things there. And that the, the piece that I had to make sure that I, that I did was to use that in the right way. So went straight into education and Started out as a teacher and a coach in Oklahoma, and uh, we were up there for a year, and we'd gone to school up there, and uh, my wife was pregnant with our first child, and so she was born in Oklahoma, Lindsay was born in Oklahoma. Then we we got back to the state of Texas as quick as we could right after that, and so we went out into to West Texas and uh, and started a journey uh, of, of coaching, and so I coached for 21 years and progressed through that from a position coach to a coordinator to an assistant head coach, and then eventually an athletic director head football coach and spent the last seven years in two different districts as, a, as an athletic director and head football coach and, and over the entire program and had an opportunity to impact there. Had some people that really started pouring into me during that time that encouraged me to go deeper into administration. Uh, I had a couple of superintendents that really encouraged that. We made that move 20 years after I got my bachelor's. I went back to school 
and got my master's. And I'm going to tell you, it was a total change uh, going back to school and going to college. Because when I went and got my bachelor's, that was a long time ago. And uh, they had footsteps painted on the floor. And you walked down the footsteps to get enrolled in classes. And when I went back and got my master's, then it was all online. You didn't actually talk to an advisor. You just emailed and different things of that nature. So that changed. And I got my master's, my principal certification in, uh, in 12 months. Went to University of Texas at Arlington and uh, did a face-to-face program. And uh, really got exposed to, with some great professors there that really stretched my thinking in a, in a group of uh, a cohort that we had that really worked well together. Mm-hmm. And so did that in, in 12 months. And then the next year I spent getting my superintendent certification. Okay. I was an assistant principal during that time. And uh, so did my assistant principal piece and then uh, had the opportunity to go into a, uh, a principal's role. And I was very fortunate and blessed to work with a guy named Rob O'Connor in my first principal role. And so I worked with him at, at Whiteright as a principal. He left, went to Salina. A year later, he called me and I went over there and was the high school principal there for three years and then uh, moved into a director of HR. Shortly after that, he left again and uh, he went to Marble Falls. And uh, eight months later, he called me and offered me an assistant uh, superintendent job in Marble Falls. And so we went to Marble Falls and uh, were there for four years and had a, had a wonderful time there. And he did the same thing again. He left. He went, he went further south. That's when Marla and I, my wife, you know, we sat down and talked and with grandkids in the Fort Worth area. Uh, we, we said we just can't go further south. And, and we knew that's, that wasn't the direction we wanted to go. And so we, uh, we spent some time praying about it and, and really uh, trying to seek what we were supposed to do. And we felt very confident that, that I needed to seek out a superintendent's job at that point. And Rob, I had been with him through uh, White Rock, Salina, Marble Falls, and he had poured a lot into me and gave me an opportunity to really be exposed. And as an assistant superintendent, he allowed me to really run my half of the district, everything besides uh, curriculum instruction, and trusted me to do that. You know, and I think about that now in my spot with the people that I have around me. That, that we have to trust each other and we have to empower people and we have to allow them to grow, to have the opportunity to try things. And it may not go exactly the way we want it to go, but we have to allow them the opportunity to try things and find out. And it may end up better than we even thought it would, would, would go. But we started that search and started looking for a, a superintendency and was blessed uh, to, to be offered the job at Westwood in the Palestine area. We say it that way because uh, we're very proud of where we're at. We're not Palestine Westwood. Uh, we're, we're Westwood in the Palestine area. <laughs> and uh, But three years ago, we just, uh, August the 1st, we celebrated our three-year anniversary. And so we've been been here for three years as a superintendent. You know, I try to take on that, that journey that I was on and sitting in a lot of different chairs, I think, allows me as I have conversations to really understand what people are going through, to really grasp their struggle, to really grasp the severity of, of what they're doing. And I, and I tell them all the time that the flip side of that is I also know when it's not that bad. And I, I, and I probably have experienced what they're going through or something similar. And I typically help guide them through solutions. And so uh, it's been a fun journey. It's uh, sorry. I'm starting my 37th year and really excited about the future of our district right now. I want to talk about early in your leadership career. Was there a really impactful piece of advice you received that positively impacted your leadership skills? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think I think there was a lot. There were a lot of uh, people that poured into me and gave me advice. And and I think this is going to sound real simple, but and I and I use this a lot uh, when we're talking. When I was coaching, we talked a lot about coaching hard, coaching kids hard, uh, expecting a lot out of them, really having a high standard. And and what we are, and the advice I got and what I I grew up around in that in that time early on in my career was you can coach them hard. You can expect a lot out of them, but you have to love them hard. They have to see you love them first. And so I think that what the, what I took from that was it comes down to relationships. It comes down to building relationships and knowing our kids, knowing who they are, what they're about and what, what really motivates every single kid and finding that, uh, that piece on each kid, that where you can connect, where it can be personal with them. And, and then I think when we do that, then we're able to really, really push the limits on what we expect from them. I think they perform at a higher level. I think that we build this, uh, this bond that, that nobody wants to let each other down. And the performance goes up, whether that be athletics or whether that be uh, academics, uh, that performance goes up. And I know that sounds simple and we always hear about that, but this year before we started school, one of the things that, that we knew is that we needed to really work on relationships, uh, <clears throat> both adult to adult and adult to student. Mm-hmm. And so we had, uh, we identified three teachers, one at our primary campus, one at our elementary campus and one at our high school campus that do this on an amazing level. And I went to them and I brought them and, I, and, and asked them if they would participate in some staff development. And they said, okay, yeah, what do you want us to do? And I said, I want you to talk about how you build relationships. What do you do in your classroom to do that? Then I walked out of the room and I let them talk and I let them work it out. And we met one more time during the summer and I said, do y'all feel good about it? And they said, yes, this is kind of what we're going to do. And the first time I heard it was when their first presentation and they spent an hour on four different campuses delivering basically the same talk, but they crafted it depending on what that campus really needed and what the questions were and what the field was. And they talked and we met, we, we titled it making connections and loving kids. And they just poured into our staff about how they do it. They had an interactive uh, discussion with our staff. And we're seeing some amazing things coming from that. We're seeing conversations go deeper from staff member to staff member. And, and what I told them was, since I've gotten education, we've talked about you have to build relationships. We've talked about as an administrator, when you bring a kid down, the first question is, do you have a relationship with that student? And they typically look at us and go, no, I don't. And we say, well, build one. But I said, the one thing we haven't ever done is talk about how do you build that? What does that look like? And we take it for granted that everybody knows how to do that. And I think people would do it if they know how. So we spent an hour on every campus talking about that. And I think it's, uh, that's time well spent. And we're seeing the, we're seeing the benefits of that uh, right now. So that was the advice I got. And I'm still carrying that advice on to other people right now. So I was told by my mentor that a lot of leadership skills are developed only through experiences. What was one trial or failure you experienced that created the most growth? Wow. 
So I would agree that our leadership skills are developed through experiences. And I would, I would even say that those skills are developed through hard experiences and failures along the way. During my, my time taking a, uh, a struggling campus academically, took the campus and knew that it was struggling, actually studied the data and saw the trend, met with the staff, and we talked about looking at data, we talked about it, high quality instruction, and they assured me that they knew that, they did that, and that they had that under control. And so made the decision I wasn't going to make any drastic changes and we would just work on building relationships. And so we did that. We started doing that. Probably six weeks into it, I realized that we were struggling. And I realized we probably weren't doing everything that we needed to do. I know from my coaching days and then from my administrative days, you have to have a very supportive spouse and they have to, they have to be able to listen and discern and, and sometimes not give advice, but sometimes give advice. And so I went home and I talked to, to Marla and I said, man, I said, I think we're, we're, we're struggling. And she said, well, you need to change stuff. And I said, no, I can't. I've already promised them I wouldn't. And so we didn't do that. Uh, we went through that year, and at the end of that year, we received, uh, actually, I looked at the raw data, a place to call to the superintendent, and I said, hey, uh, we may be academically unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, we're not. And I said, yeah. I said, we could be close. I said, if we're not, we're close. And, uh, and I said, you know, if you, if you need me to step down, I'll step down. I said, I understand. And uh, he goes, no, no, it's going to be okay. We got a letter from the state uh, telling us that if if we didn't change what we were doing academically, we were sliding so fast and the standard was going up that in one year we would be academically unacceptable. And so we were just a few per, a few percentage points from being academically unacceptable. From that, we, we had to make some drastic changes. And we had to move pretty quick after that. Um, we did some things and, and they were very, very successful. We went from basically an academically unacceptable campus to a recognized high school. And we were probably two to three students away from being uh, an exemplary high school. Through that process, we had to move too fast. And we, we had to take some drastic pieces. What I learned through that is even when you have to move that fast, you've got to take time to explain things to people. And I don't think I took the time to explain what we were doing and why we were doing it. And uh, I discovered through that, that through some, some resources that we were using during that time, that I think a lot of leaders do this. We analyze so fast and we think, okay, here's from point A to point B, and this is how we're going to get there. And the analyzation happens so fast and nobody else is going that fast with us. And they get scared and it's fearful because they don't know check points. They don't know what's coming. And we keep saying, it's all going to be okay. We're going to get there, but they can't see. Okay. And, and when people can't see, they get scared. And when they get scared, they start to resist. And we think that is resisting us, but what is resisting is the blindness is resisting the change that they can't understand. And so I learned from that, that I have to slow down. I have to take time to talk to people. I have to take time to walk them through it. I have to give people time to catch up to where I'm at. That was a painful lesson. 
I still regret some things from that. There was some, there was some damage done there that I can't repair. And it hurts. It hurts today. It hurts right now talking about it. I, I tend to not revisit that because of the pain that goes with it. So you have had so many different titles over your career. What educational leadership position was your favorite and what part of the job made it so enjoyable? I would say that every one of them has, has had a special moment. I think that, I think it's going to be between an assistant principal and a principal. Uh, the athletic director and the head coach was unbelievable. There was lots of things there, but uh, you know, it's either high or low is one or the other. You're either winning or you're losing and either everybody loves you or everybody wants you gone. It, it makes no difference. So it's, it's one or the other. So I think that probably as a high school principal, which was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had also. And I think quite honestly, it's the hardest job in education. A high school principal is, uh, I think they're on a, on a platform like nobody else. It's harder than a superintendent's job. Uh, there's, there's so many things happening. You make so many decisions, have so many conversations and you never stop during the day. It's an unbelievable job. But I think from that comes a lot of fun moments. I think it's the opportunity to impact staff. I think it's the opportunity to impact students. I think it's the opportunity to interact with that struggling student that nobody's ever seen, uh, that nobody's ever talked to. It's the opportunity to stop suicides, which I've unfortunately, but fortunately had the opportunity to have kids that have come and talked about that and we've got help. It's the opportunity to, to intervene in uh, drug use. It's the opportunity to help with a, a student that's homeless. There's opportunity to help with staff that are struggling with home life, staff that are struggling with kids, staff that are struggling financially, staff that are struggling just in lots, so many areas. And then I think it's the piece, and I, I still remember these moments when parents would come in and they're struggling with their kids and you're parenting parents and you're teaching parents. And, and so the, the, what I look at even today is I'm still a teacher. I, I'm a teacher in everything I do. And I think as a high school principal, you have the opportunity to teach all day long. So all day long, you're teaching somebody and there's so many rewards from that. Uh, that you get. So I think, I think that was probably the, the job that was the most rewarding that I could see day to day, minute to minute that you could see things. And I want to talk about that teaching piece. So as a superintendent, how are you growing future leaders? Well, one thing that, that I try to do is number one, I try to surround myself with the highest quality people I can find. And I try to find people that quite honestly want to take my job someday. So everybody in my central office staff has aspirations to be a superintendent someday. So I'm giving them opportunities to lead, opportunities to, to facilitate groups, to facilitate meetings with the public. I take them, we go through a, a process, uh, it's a reflective process at the end of every six weeks where we review their, their previous six weeks. We, we review what was good, what their struggles were and how they would fix those things. And so we do a lot of reflective conversations. And so they, they joke with me that I have tremendous wait time when I ask them questions. So I wait for them to give their answers of what they think uh, they would do. And I don't feed them any information. And it's very, very awkward sometimes because we'll sit there for a couple of minutes as we look at each other. I do the same thing with our principals. So I meet with our principals twice a month. I meet with our assistant principals 
once a month. So our assistant principals come to central office. They have an opportunity to sit in a staff meeting just like their principals did. We brief them on everything that their principals heard the week before or a couple of days before as just as if they were in an administrative meeting. They do the same book studies that we do administratively. So we talk, we talk through book studies. We talk through scenarios. We also are very fortunate that uh, we're in our second year of have a, aspiring administrators. We've got a grant for the second year where uh, we have three interns this year. I think we had six last year in our district that got their master's paid for and have their principal certification or they're working on it. And so we have three this year uh, that they're getting their master's paid for uh, through this grant and getting, and they'll be able to be certified uh, as principals when it comes out of it. And, and so we're, we're always looking for those opportunities and we're trying to do that and, and trying to grow those. And uh, I, I preach to our board all the time. We don't have the spots to fill them, but we typically put them back in the classroom if they don't have that spot. And then we have, somebody ready to go as soon as we may have an opening because we're, we're constantly trying to promote people within our district. And so I think if we can train them, if they can go through these programs and I can work with them, I can pour into them, even as assistant principals, that when we have a change, our, our philosophy is to try to move somebody up because they already know our system. They know our kids. They know exactly what we're trying to do. We feel like if we can do that, we're one year ahead of hiring somebody from the outside because we believe it's going to take a year for them to come in, build the relationships, invest enough so they can start making hard decisions. Mm -hmm. and, and it takes that long to really discover the culture and the climate on a campus. And so, I, you know, I, I promoted my assistant superintendent of curriculum instruction and leadership. I promoted the, the high school principal. We, we had to go outside on a couple of other positions, but we're trying to promote as much as we can inside. And so we're trying to, to, to grow those leaders from within through that. For those who may not have a program at their district or just want to be a part of a leadership community, I want to take a minute to tell you about a new online resource from Better Leaders, Better Schools called Go Community. This has become one of my favorite places to go to engage with other amazing school leaders. This online resource is a great place to have conversations with other leaders, gain insight, engage in book studies, and develop your own leadership capacity. This online community is very, very different than social media because it's a private community with the same goal. I highly recommend using Go Community to level up your leadership capacity. If you're interested, go to joshstamper.com resources to sign up. So I know as you are promoted up the leadership ladder, you work less with students and more with adults. So how did that shift affect you as a leader? Well, it's, it's hard. Uh, it's real hard. And so what... What I do, and, and when you ask that question, just as soon as you, you ask that question, I started reflecting because I wasn't on a campus at all today. And that bothers me right now as I'm sitting here. So what I, what I do is I try to be intentional. I try to put on my calendar that I'm, when I'm going to campuses. And so I try to get in classrooms. I try to interact with kids. I try to see kids. I've done it enough that the majority of the kids know me. And so that's a good feeling. The, the, the challenge I've got is I don't know them. I don't know their names. I don't know those things. And so that troubles me a little bit. But I think that what I challenge our entire staff and, and so our assistant superintendent of business and finance, he came from an educational background. I challenge him to constantly go to campus so he can stay connected, so he can see why 
he does what he he does. And so we take our, including me, we, I try to get there. I, I try to do as much of that as I can. And we do things on campuses so they can go to the campus and they can stay connected to kids. Because in the end, as I tell them, that's what we're there for. It's about kids and it better be about kids. Mm-hmm. And, and the day it stopped being about kids and we've got to evaluate. And, um, and then I failed if it's there. So I think from a personal standpoint, it's constantly trying to get there because if I don't, you know, you can lose that connection. You can lose it real quick and, and you don't think you would, but you can start to lose it. And uh, the challenge comes in that I can find 9,000 things to stay behind my desk. I, I can do it. I, I've done it. I did it today. And, uh, and so tomorrow uh, I'll be on campuses. Uh, the only interaction I had, the only interaction I had today is I, I took two of our students to a rotary meeting. So we, we had junior Rotarians. And so I, I do that every Wednesday. And so it gives me a chance to interact with those two. Sure. And, uh, and I ask them simple questions. What's the best thing about Westwood? And they tell me, and then I say, what's the one thing, if I, is what is one thing I could change today that would make your life better? And the first year I did that consistently, I heard dress code, but they went deeper. They went deeper. They went, you know, we know we have to have dress, dress code, but if we could, if you could do this, if you could do this, and they had great suggestions, we took it. And now we have, we, we have minimized our dress code issues because we listened to them and they had some great ideals and they weren't outrageous. They were just simple little things, spirit shirts. They said, if we could just wear spirit shirts any day, not just Fridays. So we made that simple change. And I, I would say over half of our dress code issues stopped. Well, that's impressive. And so I want to talk about that. What did you do as a principal on your campus or maybe as a superintendent in your district that increased student voice? What I'm working at doing right now, and I have not got this implemented, uh, and I've got this from Mike Goddard and some other people that I, I look at as the superintendents that are doing some things of this nature, is, is having a, a council of students that, that can come and meet and talk with me. As a high school principal, I was out all the time and interacting. So lunch was my time. I was in the lunchroom every day. And you sat down at a lunchroom table. Kids are going to talk to you. Oh, yeah. They're going to tell you what's good, and they're going to tell you what's not good. And not just the food, but everything that's wrong in the school. And it's just simply asking, how's your day going? And I think it's just giving them an opportunity to talk. And I think the other thing, and this is a, a piece that, that I really encourage our staff, and I talk to them about this every year, is we talk about giving them a voice, but I think we have to look at them. And we have to, and we, and that we talk about intentionally looking at them. We talk about intentionally looking in their eyes. I tell them that they will hide all of their emotions. They will, they will hide it when they talk to you. They will hide it in their body. I said, but they can't hide it in their eyes. You look in their eyes, you will see if they're happy, if they're sad, if there's pain, if they're, if they're fearful, whatever it is. And then it's simply starting to ask the right questions. And I think that gives them the voice. I think that's, that allows them to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a high school principal, I still remember remember at White Rock, Texas, two boys came, uh, two uh, juniors came, and they wanted the dress code change. They wanted their hair to be longer. They wanted to to relax their hair. And I said, you know, I said, uh, I've got my opinion on that. But I said, I think it would be tremendous for y'all to put a presentation together and go to our site-based committee and talk to our site-based committee about it. I said, I don't want to be the sole voice. And so... They, I gave them, uh, they had two or three weeks to get a presentation together. So they come before a site-based committee and we had community members, we had business leaders, we had uh, all of our staff on that committee. 
and so they they come in and and I still remember it. They fumbled through their presentation. You could tell they were nervous. They they really they did a good job, but you could tell that it was hard for them. And they came by the office the next day, and and of course it was declined. The the, the committee said no, we don't think that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. They weren't upset, but the the thing they told me was thank you so much for giving us that opportunity. We were so scared. We didn't know what we were doing, but we appreciate the opportunity to go and present. And so I think it's just looking for platforms like that True. to give them a voice, just to find those opportunities. Yeah. So I always love providing leaders with examples of practical strategies and initiatives. So what is one initiative you've implemented on your campus or in your district that you are extremely proud of? Oh man, I'll tell you, um, this is one that if, if you're following me on Twitter, You'll, you'll see this going out. It's, you'll see it through the hashtag WWEnergyBus. Right now, we have partnered with Energy Bus for Schools. And we are, the last I checked, we are the only school district in the state of Texas that is a certified Energy Bus school district. Red Oak was, I, and we went there, and Mike Goddard was at Red Oak, and we, we, we went and visited him to kind of get an idea of what that is. But I'll, I'll back up just a little bit on this and this initiative. We were sitting in an A-team meeting. We have about 15 people sitting in our A-team. It's every campus principal. It's every director, every assistant superintendent. So it's basically, if you're in a leadership position in our district, we meet once a month. And uh, so we're sitting in there. And our athletic director brings up, we've got a problem. And we we were doing a book study by John Gordon at that time. You went in the locker room first. And so our entire team was studying this book. As we were discussing a chapter, he said, we've got a problem. And he said, it's, it's not just in athletics, but it's in our entire district. And he said, we've got a problem with culture. And we're looking at it, and, and everybody's kind of looking. And I've got people that are new. I've got people that have been there 20 years sitting in the room. And he said, I just don't think we've got the right culture. I don't think we have a positive culture. And he's only been there less than a year when he says this. And so it's kind of quiet to start with. And so I said, what do we think? And one of our veteran administrators that had taught, has been in the district her entire career, she said, is exactly right. And then this, the discussion started. And we, we saw it from across the board, all across the district, that we, we needed to address this. And so, so we started brainstorming. And I, I went to a service center meeting. And I was coming back. And I'd done some research. I'd seen the energy bus. I had seen John Gordon's book, The Energy Bus. I had not read the book, but I'd seen it. And I'd seen Energy Bus for Schools. I'm driving, and um, and uh, they'll, they'll tell you in my district that when, when there's something that comes up, we address it, and we address it pretty fast. I, I don't wait to address things. And this was the day after our meeting, and I'm driving over, and we have the meeting, and I'm starting to come back, and I think, okay, I've got to do something. I'm driving, and I, I should... I'm sure I'd stop first and I found the website and then I punched it and I called. I'm sure I didn't do that while I was driving, but, uh, <laughs> but I placed a call to, to Nikki Spears. Who's who founded that, that organization. She's a co-founder with John Gordon and we talked and I came back and I talked to our campus principals and we started looking at it and we started talking. We visited with Nikki Spears through a, a zoom meeting and uh, we all talked. We went to Red Oak and we visited with Red Oak and we saw what it was doing. We had one more meeting and I said, okay, is everybody in? And I said, you need to tell me right now if you're not in. And they, every one of them said, we're in, we're ready to do it. And so we made the commitment to start on that journey. 
And so before school got out, we ordered uh, nearly 300 copies of the book. We gave it to every employee in our district. We, we have Spanish speaking uh, employees. And so we bought a, a, a Spanish version where they could read it in their, in their language. The last day that we had our entire staff, we unveiled that we were going to start on that journey of being an energy bus school district. So we started, we handed the book out and we told everybody, this is your copy. If you decide you're not going to come back, you have to turn this in with your computer and everything else. This is only for the people that are going to be back. And so we handed that out as we hired new employees. We hired, we handed them a copy of the book. And so, <clears throat> so we read it convocation, Nikki Spears and Kermit uh, Spears, her husband came down and they covered uh, the, the first three principles of the book. And I'm going to tell you, we had probably the, one of the best convocation trainings that I've ever been in, in my life. We had board members that were there. We had our entire staff in one room and Nikki lit it on fire. What we've witnessed since then, we talk about this in, in the district. We have a vertical alignment now of culture. We have a vertical alignment of language of how we're going to treat one another. So when we talk about you're the driver of your bus, a pre-K student knows what a driver of a bus is as well as a senior does. When we talk about we're not going to have any energy vampires, everybody knows what that means. We've got kids that are using that language right now. We've got it going out into our families in the community. I've had multiple, at least two employees that have come and said, you've saved my life through that book. One shared a lot of details with me. And they said, my kids have told me, I have not seen you this happy in forever. And they said, I realized I was living a victim life. I realized I was allowing the outside influences to come into my life. And now, and they use this language, now I'm driving my bus. And if you've read the book, you'll know what that means. If you haven't, I, I challenge you to pick up the book and read it. But what we're watching is we're watching our district transform into a, a positive environment. And, and a lot of people, and we talk about this, that being a positive environment doesn't mean that you avoid the negative. What it means is you address the negative and you fix the negative instead of sitting around and complaining about the negative and not doing anything about the negative. We're seeing this just take off. We, we thought that the high school would be the hardest campus to really get going. We kept asking, what does it look like at a high school? We, thought, we know what it looks like at an elementary, a primary, but what does it look like at a high school? I would invite anybody to come and look at our high school right now. We have energy bus drawings on the, uh, on the walls. We have, we have people doing what we call the Westwood energy bus high five. We have uh, just going out on all of our social media, all those different things that are happening. And so it's an amazing journey that we're on and we're just, we're excited. And we just, we just started on that journey. Wade, for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? I think that what I would say is, what's your why behind it? We talk about that all the time. You know, understand what your why is. And then I think it's understand who you are and understand what your passion is. When we talk to leaders, and, and, I, and, I, and I take a lot of young leaders that haven't been in those positions, we talk about why. Why are you wanting to do this? And what are you passionate about? And how do you want to be known as a leader? Because I don't think you can lead until you know what your values are as a leader. And so I think you have to identify what your core values are. And we talk about that being our purpose or our passion. If we truly can identify those, 
then we can do that. And then I think the other piece of advice that I would give them is, is, is don't be scared. Take chances. Find somebody that will pour into you. Find somebody that will take a chance on you. Somebody that's going to empower you to be a leader and jump in there and try it. And, and you may not, it, it may not be the leadership position that you want to start with, but you're going to learn so much in it. And then you're going to find another leadership position. You know, I, I waited and waited and waited. And I, there was probably four years, five years that I, I've thought about being a superintendent. And I didn't do it. And I didn't do it out of fear, fear of I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to do it, fear of this and fear of that. I think that the, the weight helped expose some things and I think I grew. But I look now and I look at things and I'm thinking, I wish I hadn't been as fearful. I wish that I had taken some chances. I wish I had pursued some things. Same thing, moving from an athletic director to, uh, to into an administrative role in my first uh, assistant principal role. That's six years from the day that I started to do it. And so I would say, don't be that fearful. I would, I would also challenge though, to get a base of knowledge, teach a little bit, get a base of knowledge. Uh, you talked about experiences earlier, teach you. I have a wealth of knowledge of experiences because I've been in a lot of different positions and I taught for a long time. So I've got an idea. I've made a lot of mistakes. And so I tell people, I can tell you a lot of ways not to do it. Uh, and so I said, I've eliminated nearly every way not to do it. And so, uh, so I, I would say that one, find your why, find your passion, take chances and don't wait if that's what you want to do. So in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? I think the most enjoyable aspect of leadership is seeing others grow in their leadership capacity. I think that it's when you see people start to lead, when you see them blossom, when you see them take the initiative, when you see them go on to other things, even if it's not in your own district, it's, it's seeing that it's taking a, a person that didn't know for sure if they could do it, that didn't know that they could take that next step and then taking that next step and that next step and, and so forth. And I think that's with students, that's with adults, that's whatever. You know, I, I, I talked to um, our athletic director the other day, right when we started school, I had two former students and athletes reach out to me, one on social media, one on text message, and talk about our relationship and our friendship. And these were years ago, years ago, and talk about what they're doing now with their kids. One of them's coaching and has kids. The other one, his, he's got a young, a young boy that's playing football. And he was talking about that. And he was talking about how he was taking things that we taught him and applying them to his, his son. And, and so I think that's an enjoyable piece. And, and that's part of leadership. That's part of seeing people grow, you know, and, and applying that knowledge that you shared with them. Wade, you've been such a huge impact in my PLN. So how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Well, uh, you can you can connect on Twitter. It is Wade Stanford, uh, at Wade Stanford. And then I'm on Instagram, and I think it's the same on Instagram. I hadn't looked at that title in so long, but search for me on there. I'll, I, you, you'll find me probably a little more active on Twitter uh, than I am on uh, on Instagram, but I'm on, I tried to post a little bit on both of those. But I'd love to connect with people on Twitter. 
Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast. And if you've gotten any value from this show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating or review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire Lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Wade, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure for me. And again, I appreciate you and what you do for education.